This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in South Florida, podcasting to you from our offices in West Palm Beach. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know full well you cannot do most of what they're recommending? Your church isn't big enough. You don't have enough staff. There's not enough money or talent or creativity to pull it all off. Well, you've come to the right place. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome back to episode number two of our podcast, Church for the Rest of Us. In our very first episode, we talked about why we abandoned the regional megachurch model here at Family Church, and we introduced the model that we've embraced. We call it a network of neighborhood churches. Now, we believe that this model not only makes cultural sense and practical sense, we think it makes biblical and theological sense. With me today on the podcast again is my partner in crime, Steve Wright. He's our executive pastor at Family Church. He works a lot with multiplication, leadership training, and church planting. And Steve, talk to our listeners a little bit about why we think this network of neighborhood churches makes biblical and theological sense. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jimmy, you know, when you just do a careful study of the New Testament, when you begin reading really the book of Acts and the epistles, what, what you really see is a true partnership of those churches working together. And one of the things, you know, that's really prominent in our day and age is, is the talk of autonomy. And really the talk of autonomy trumps a lot of time, this idea of churches partnering, sharing, and just working together. And so what you see happen in the in the New Testament is the churches sharing Paul's letters, giving to one another, sending their very best leaders, and encouraging other each other regarding the mission of Jesus. And in contrast, when you look at what's happening today, especially in North America, it almost looks like the churches are in competition. And so when you see that contrast, you just kind of have to think, man, you know, is what we're doing and are the problems that we're having today, is that really affecting us with our, you know, attempts to make disciples? And so, you know, when you think about the persecution that was so immense in the New Testament, when you think about the persecution of places all over the world today, and then you see where the churches are actually thriving and where multiplication is happening, even in the face of that type of persecution, the church was thriving. And so one of the things that we're learning being here in South Florida is that if we can help our churches work together and actually be a network of neighborhood churches supporting each other, resourcing one another, really doing some downfield blocking for one another. Right. I actually, like that. You know, it really works a lot better. And I know the guys on our team, just that spirit of cooperation and collaboration is mm-hmm. really helping us move the ball down the field. Well, one of the things that they knew in the in the New Testament, when you read the book of Acts, those guys did not have the illusion that they were winning. Because when they started the church in Jerusalem, that was the only church that existed anywhere on right. the planet. And then when they started that church in Antioch, when the lay people went and started the church in Antioch, that was the second church that existed anywhere on the planet. And they were in they knew they were in a hostile culture and they knew they were swimming upstream. You know, one of the things that happens to us in North America is because we have so many highly visible mega churches, at least in the evangelical subculture where we kind of where we live, 
we can easily look around and say, wow, look at these guys. They're on television. Look at these guys. They've got all these books. Look at these guys. They've started a college. Look at these guys. They've got these massive conferences. They sell records, you know, whatever. And we can get the illusion that we're winning the battle. The people in the New Testament did not have the illusion that they were winning the battle. They knew that they were up against a world system that was pushing back against Christianity. Well, down here in South Florida, I don't think anybody has the illusion that we're winning the battle. Because no. even though there's some churches like Family Church that are growing or Christ Fellowship, one of our partner sister churches here in Palm Beach County, they're growing. But we don't have any illusion. There's only a few hundred thousand people connected with the church out of 1.5 million people in our county. There's only a few hundred thousand people connected with churches all across the 7 million people that live in South Florida. We are not moving the needle. And so what I'm trying to say is that for, for us in North America, I'm afraid that the situation is a lot worse than right. most Christians feel like it is. You know, when I was a kid, I used to read these books called the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I read the book called The Hobbit, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And in those books, you have these hobbits, Frodo and Bilbo Baggins, that live in this place called the Shire. And the way that Tolkien describes it, the Shire just seems like a really wonderful oh, yeah. place to live. It's like they live in Disney World. Right. They have the grass is always green, and they have plenty of food, and they have all these parties and all this these festivals, and they sit there and smoke cigars, and they, they drink beer, and they just have a whole lot of fun together, and they live in this very idyllic environment. And what happens in the story is far away from the Shire, there's this evil force in this place called Mordor, and the evil forces begin to advance across the land towards the Shire. The people in the Shire sit there with their green grass, drinking their beer, smoking their cigars, having their parties, and it's hard for them to believe that the forces of Mordor are actually advancing and soon going to overtake them and abolish their entire way of life. And I'm afraid that a lot of our listeners on the Church for the Rest of Us podcast live in pockets of the Bible Belt or pockets of Middle America where they just don't believe that the forces of Mordor are real. And what we've discovered here in South Florida is we've got to get our eyes out of the Shire and look beyond the Shire and think about where the battle's really happening. And because we live in a post-Christian, multicultural context, I think it makes a whole lot easier for us to do that. So basically what I'm trying to say is, Steve, it's not right for us to spend thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of God's money in our churches for us to put thousands of man hours every year in God's churches with the very narrow goal of, you know, last year we had a thousand people in our church. Maybe next year we could grow to 1,100 people. Right. Last year we right. baptized 72 people. And if we really bust it, maybe next year we'll baptize 84 people. That's not going to get it done in, right. a, in a sea of 7 million multicultural lost people. Yeah, and that's not just happening here in South Florida. That's happening nationally and around the world. I mean, you just look at the percentage of lostness and how that's ever growing. So just incrementally getting a little bigger is not going to do it. And you heard the quote that if you use a small enough ruler, we're all giants. <laughs> so, right. you know, you think about that and, you know, you think about some of the things that are happening right now with Family Church. You know, some people are kind of singing our praise and pat us on the back and, you know, ready to put us on the talk, the speaking circuit. But the truth is, even with some of the success that we're having, we're, we're still not winning. And there's a lot more that we need to be doing. And so, Jimmy, you know, in, with the analogy that you just gave us, that's really a powerful analogy. And instead of churches, you know, really looking and thinking that 
the network of neighborhood churches is an option. Really what you're saying that is it might not just be an option. It may be what we all actually need to do to take the gospel to all people that live around us. Well, here's what we discovered here at Family Church with a very situation where we have very limited resources. We're not near a seminary. We don't have all these seminary students pouring through. We do not have a lot of wealthy people in our church funding all of this. We are operating on a shoestring, or as you said, without shoestrings. Right. And what we've decided to do is, even with no money, how can we take the partnerships that we have with the North American Mission Board and with the Florida Baptist Convention and with others and take the limited resources we have and multiply our influence throughout South Florida. So we've decided to go this network of neighborhood churches. And we decided about eight years ago, we were going to try to plant a hundred neighborhood churches in South Florida. In the last five or six years, we've planted 20 neighborhood churches. And we're in the process of planting a whole lot more. And what we've developed is a parish model. So we actually function as one church with multiple locations, even though in each location they have their own local leadership. They have live preaching at every campus in their own language, in their own location. But we are still one church because we have one leadership structure. Mm -hmm. We have one constitution and bylaws. We have one budget and we have one name, Family Church. And we've discovered that our growth goes better because new units grow faster. There's a guy named Arthur Flake back in the 1920s who came up with something called Flake's Formula. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, Baptist churches used that as the basis, their philosophy and their strategy for developing new Sunday school classes. And his number one axiom is new units grow faster. Well, we think the same happens with churches. So new units grow faster. So the more new campuses we can start, the more new churches we can plant, the more people we will see come to Christ and the faster our growth. That will happen more rapidly and it will scale up a lot better than us simply trying to take one location and add more and more and more people to it. Okay. Well, Jimmy, you know, when I moved down here to South Florida, one of the things that my sons and I got kind of hooked into was really the whole fishing Oh, yeah. Deal. And, you know, where I came from, we didn't have sailfish that swam 60 miles an hour. And, you know, that's basically covering a football field in two seconds. And so as my boys and I got out there and started competing in these tournaments, then these, these tournaments have huge purses. And I mean, it's just a very competitive thing. But one of the things that we've noticed when we got out there is these these men and these teams, they really employed every tactic and every approach they could to catch these fish. So some of them, you'd go out there and they're flying these kites with live bait dangling. Some of them have cigar weights so that they've got, you know, bait down about halfway down. And then others have planers that have their bait all the way on the bottom. And they're just doing anything that they can. And so here at Family Church, when we think about our approaches and our models, the things that we're trying to do, you know, quite honestly, we're trying to do whatever we can do to take the gospel to everybody, to every resident in South Florida, in every neighborhood. And quite honestly, you know, all of these things that we're doing, what we're trying to say to our congregation and those people that are in our church, to our members, is let's take the gospel out of the four walls of the church and let's be the church out there. So there's a lot of different things that we've done. We've planted and helped plant several autonomous churches. We've planted eight campuses currently, and we're soon to be adding another one. We've planted a recovery church. We've planted language churches covering Spanish, Creole, Slavic, Russian, and Portuguese. We have two bivocational churches. And right now we're trying to plant six seed churches. 
And so these are all things that we're trying to do. And quite honestly, we fell a lot. We don't get it all right, but we are learning a lot. And so, Jimmy, in that process, you know, you talk about three boxes, right? Right. And so explain to our listeners how we're processing that and how that helps us think through this. Yeah. A few years ago, I attended the Global Leadership Summit with Bill Hybels and the Willow Creek Association, of which we are a part. And at that summit, there's a guy named Vijay Govindarajan that got up and spoke, and he talked about innovation and how churches and organizations need to have a plan and a philosophy that allows for, and not only allows for, but actually promotes the idea of greater innovation in order to move organizations forward. And he he said every organization has three boxes. He said box number one is called the performance engine. That's the stuff that you do, that you have to do. That's why your that's why your organization exists. So for us, the performance engine would basically be our normal Sunday morning programming, what we do to have worship services, kids ministry, parking, all of that kind of stuff. And it's why we've been here since 1901. That's what we do. Box two, Govinda Rajan said, is selectively abandoning the past. Okay. Selectively abandoning the past. And every organization has to recognize that there are certain things that you used to do that major performance engine go that as you move into the future, you're going to have to stop doing, and that's really hard to do. Box three is R&D, research and development. He says that you've got to have in every organization, especially in a church, you've got to have some component of your resources, some component of your team, of your time, of your money set aside to experiment and try new things so that you can move your organization into the future. And the thing that most churches have a hard time with is the performance engine is so powerful and so beloved by a church that nobody ever wants to tinker with the performance engine. I talked last podcast about how our church in the 1990s, when the culture began to change and the culture of church began to change and new models of church began to emerge, dressing down, buildings were different, times were different, the way we preached, the way we sing was different. Our church doubled down on the way we'd been doing it. Right. Okay, well, that was a, a horrible mistake that set us back a whole generation here in Palm Beach County. And so what churches have to do as you continue to move the performance engine forward, you have to be thinking about what is the future going to look like and what do you need to abandon? Well, the goal of the performance engine is always efficiency. How can we take what we're doing and do it better, do it more efficiently, do it more cheap, You know, do it less expensively, do it in a way so that it operates more efficiently? Well, That would be things like, we want to get a better drummer. We want to maybe turn the volume up or down. Maybe I'll learn to preach just a little bit better. Maybe we'll rearrange the order in our service. We'll take the Lord's Supper Mm -hmm. differently. Those are efficiencies that drive the performance engine. But research and development, the goal of research and development is not efficiency. The goal of research and development is learning trying new things. And so what happens when you're learning, you're kind of like Thomas Edison trying to discover the right filament for the light bulb. You're going to try hundreds and hundreds of things that don't work Mm -hmm. until you discover the one thing that does. And then when you do discover the one thing that does, that now informs the performance engine, which lets you embrace something new to drive the performance engine, which forces you to go to box number two, which is selectively abandoned in the past. So this all has to work together. We've kind of taken Govinda Rajan's model and it has really informed the way that we think about what we're doing in our church. Well, Jimmy, when you start having these conversations about moving forward, you know, a lot a lot of our listeners today, you know, just that whole idea of the fear of failure, I mean, that's that's kind of gripping and paralyzing, right? 
Totally. And so, Especially in churches. Because right. whenever you say you want to do something new in a church, some committee or some group or maybe your own staff is going to say, are you 100% sure that this is going to work? And when you have some portion of your resources set apart and part of your culture is R&D, your answer is, no, we're not sure it's going to work. The goal of research and development is not efficiency. The goal of research and development is learning. So we're going to try a lot of things that do not work. We know that. And believe me, we've tried plenty of things here that haven't worked. Give us, give us an example. I mean, I think yeah. like our recovery church, I think some of our seed churches, Jimmy, I mean, some yeah. of those things, I mean, they started off, I mean, we're like, man, we are rocket scientists. I mean, we yeah. think, you know. No but, doubt. Well, we we started a recovery church. We have all these people in South Florida that are in recovery. A lot of people in our church are former addicts, or they're in the middle of recovery. They're fighting it. They're battling through. And so we had this idea, let's start a church of drug addicts for drug addicts by drug addicts. And we installed drug addicts that are in recovery as the leadership team. And honestly, it took off like a rocket. Right. And pretty soon we went from zero to hundreds of these addicts worshiping every Saturday night together. We're baptizing people. We have all these amazing stories of transformation. But what we discovered after about a year of that is this whole idea was inherently unstable. And we had a very difficult time sustaining the kind of godly, wise, steady leadership from this group of folks. And it really kind of imploded on itself, and we had to wave the white flag. Now, we're still big in recovery ministry. That's still a big part of our church. But we decided for us, doing recovery church the way that we were doing it with the leadership we had at the time, it just didn't work out. So we had to admit to our congregation after celebrating, hey, look what else happened in recovery church. People are asking, hey, whatever happened to Recovery Church? Right, yeah, right. I really don't have that anymore. Yeah. And that's not the only one. We had we had a church for Haitian Americans. We planted a family church for Haitian Americans. And we went and consulted with some of the Haitian leadership in South Florida and said, we want to plant a family church for Haitian Americans. And they told us, they said, guys, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. And we said, well, you don't understand. We have multiple campuses. We're very successful. We Heck, are going to do it. We are going to do it. And we're going to show you guys that are Haitians, that you have no idea what you're doing when it comes to ministering (laughs) to Haitians. Because a couple of guys from Alabama, Georgia, and Kentucky, we know what we're doing. So we actually started Family Church for Haitian Americans. We called a pastor. We got 40 Haitian Americans together as a core group, and we launched it. And after about a year, they got all the way up to 100, and we kind of were singing the I Told You So song. Right. Because we know what we're doing. Absolutely. 40 to 100. And about that time, Steve, they called a meeting with you and me, and we had a meeting in my office And the leadership gathered and they said, there's half of us, about 50 of us that hate the pastor. We're mad at the pastor. We want you to fire the pastor. And if you don't fire the pastor, we're going to leave the church. And you and I I finally finally told them to forget it. We weren't going to do that. And they did. They left family church. And these guys didn't just leave family church. They left family church for Haitian Americans, went to a building three minutes away and literally started the family church for Haitian Americans. Right, right. They had to change things up. They had to change they things. They right. <laughs> And so, so then we said, that's fine. We're going to take our pastor. We're going to, because we know what we're doing. Absolutely. So we took our 50 people. And after about another six months, they got back up to about 80 people, which is when we had another meeting in my office with another group who said, we don't like the pastor. Right. We're mad at the pastor. You got to fire the pastor. We told them we're not going to do that. And they left the church and started another church for Haitian right. Americans. We were starting Haitian churches everywhere. Yeah, and after two years and a lot of money and effort and all of our skill applied to this, 
we were back with the same pastor and the same 40 people we started with, and we had to wave the white flag. We still have a Bible study, and we have a seed church for Haitian Americans. It just didn't work. Well, there's a lot of things that we're doing that aren't working, and it's okay because these are box number three, and the goal is learning, and we're at least doing that. We're learning a lot. That's absolutely right. Jimmy, I would like for you to, let's just get very practical for a moment. I kind of want to have the talk about where the rubber meets the road. And so let's say some of our listeners are listening today and they're they're motivated. They're like, you know what? We need to push out to our community. We need to maybe plant a language church or a seed church or something like that. Talk to us a little bit about what you think it takes to actually start. Because a lot of times guys, when they hear us talk about this, they're thinking hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're thinking about you know, a lot of resources and sound equipment and those kind of things. When we think about it, it's a little bit different. Talk to us about that. Okay. Well, when most people think about church planning or starting a campus, they're thinking basically of a Nelson Searcy style launch large strategy. They're thinking about somebody who's a super talented rising star, kind of a young gun kind of a guy. And he's going to go around to churches and raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. He's going to rent a building or build a building. He's going to build a team and go ahead and fund the team before he even starts. And he's going to do mail outs and block parties. And he's going to try to start with a big splash. That's 200, like, 300, 400. Yeah, that sounds like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, well, it is. It could even be millions. And so we actually think that's a good strategy. And we are employing that strategy from time to time. But what we found out is we can only do a few of those every 10 years, maybe one or two or three in 10 years, because we don't have the context, the resources to raise that kind of money. And frankly, these superstars only come along once in a while. And when we find one, we want to fund them, we want to do it. But if we're going to reach 7 million people in South Florida, we've got to start a lot smaller. We've got to start with something a lot more common, kind of like the church at Antioch. How can we start with a common everyday leader and the resources that we have. And so here's where we start, Steve. This is the number one thing. We want to start, all we need to start a church is one person with a passion for a place. Okay. If we can find one person with a passion for a place, we can come alongside that person and begin to train them and begin to put a team around them and begin to resource them with the resources we have. And we can begin to try to reach a neighborhood, to try to reach a community. And that's where our seed church strategy comes from. A seed church is not a church and it's not a campus. A seed church is a person with a passion for a place who's willing to submit to leadership and training and willing to pull a team around themselves. And we want to plant this seed of a church in a neighborhood that we want to reach with the hopes that this seed will go into the ground and grow into a church over time. So this seed church strategy is very important to us because it lets us take a common everyday leader, like what they had in the book of Acts, not a superstar, not the next Andy Stanley. We take these guys, plant them in a neighborhood and begin to do what the book of Acts told us to do and expand that in the neighborhood. And so hopefully it'll grow to a church. And we think this is culturally appropriate. You know, in America, they haven't built a mall since 2007. There have been zero indoor malls built since 2007. And that's because the whole culture is going boutique. The whole culture is going smaller. The whole church is going more personalized, service-oriented. And we think we are riding a cultural wave at Family Church that follows a biblical pattern that we're seeing duplicated in people group movements and church movements around the world. Jimmy, I think really, you know, to emphasize what you and I are saying is that there isn't a one size that fits all. And so, you know, there just isn't one approach. So you like to say that we're kind of building the bridge as we walk across it. 
Now, we have a strategy. It's a network of neighborhood churches, and we're seeing God do some amazing things. Well, we really are. You know, in every, because of our strategy, every location, every neighborhood church has its own pastor, has its own local leadership team. They see me on a video from time to time. I may preach there every once in a while. But the truth is the people in that church see that guy who's preaching every Sunday as their pastor. So when I show up, it's like, who's the guest preacher? Yeah. Tell them that story about the lady that you met. You know, she kind of felt like you might have a future in this. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I was preaching at one of our campuses and afterwards the lady came over and she said, Pastor Jimmy, I, I don't know what you do for a living, but you're a really good speaker. You might want to think about getting your own church. <laughs> I said, man, I really appreciate that. Another time, this I just love the way that the people latch onto their own pastor. I was at Nordstrom's department store with some of my kids buying a gift for my wife around Christmas time. And there's this young lady there. She's probably in her mid-20s. She's Asian. She's got like long, glittery fingernails and got multicolored hairstyle. Just a really sweet girl. She's checking me out at Nordstrom's and I had my phone and on the back of my phone, this little phone wallet with a sticker on there that has the FC Family Church logo. Right, right. I put it down on the counter and she says, hey, FC, that's Family Church. Do you go to church there? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do I, go to church yeah. there. She goes, what campus do you go to? I said, well, I, I normally go to the, the downtown campus. She goes, oh, yeah, well, I go to the West Campus with Snap Pastor Tim. <laughs> so, see, and then so we got to talk and we got to get to know each other a little bit. But I love the idea that these local neighborhood churches really take on a neighborhood flavor, neighborhood leadership. And that's one of the models that we're seeing God uses. We try to take the gospel to every neighborhood in South Florida. Yeah. One of the things that we are trying to do, Jimmy, you know, with our, even our campus satellite model, you know, we, our churches do have local pastors and live preaching each week. And that's something that we feel like is helping us really train more and more pastors. You know, our goal, as we've stated, is to plant a hundred neighborhood churches. And you actually said that our congregation, November 21st, 2011, and I'll, I'll never forget, I, I actually had not relocated here at the time, but I remember watching the video and you standing before our congregation and saying, in order to reach South Florida, we're going to have to plant at least 100 churches. Now, you have confessed privately that you yeah. you didn't really no, say, yeah, you you know, you, we're going to have to plant thousands, right? right? But, you know, at that time, I mean, you looked at our congregations and because of everything that we were going through and you said, listen, I don't know how we're going to do this, I just know that we are. And Jimmy, just your conviction of how you said that, you know, really resonated. That vision has really led us to where we are today. And we're actually seeing God do this. Now, we haven't got to 100 churches yet, but we have got to over we 20. Will. And we're we're on our way. That's right. Well, so far, Jimmy, we've planted over 20 churches. We've got a long way to go to get to 100 but the truth is, we're on our way. We're on our way. We're on our way, and we're up. And we're going the, for it. We're going for it. We're up at the plate, at least swinging the bat, That's right. and learning a lot, <laughs> failing and learning a lot. Yep. Well, one of the things that you and I would like to do for our listeners is let them know about a conference that we host here at Family Church. It's on March one. It's called SharperConference.com, and it's a conference that they can bring their entire team. You and I would like for them to come so we can build relationships with them. And last year was the first year that we hosted this conference. We had over 500 pastors. That was phenomenal. It was great. It was much more than we expected. It was. 500 pastors from 15 different states. And you can actually go today to sharperconference.com and get more information. There's links there that'll help you register. Yeah. So look, I hope you will come to that conference. We want to meet you. We want to get face-to-face with you. We want to learn from you, build relationships with you. Now, look, this is wrapping up our 
second episode of Church for the Rest of Us podcast, but I want you to come back. The next three episodes are really critical because we're going to talk specifically about how you can change your traditional church. There are things in your church that need to change. We're going to tell you what they are. We're going to tell you how to do it. So come back and join us for Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.